Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Twyla After Show. I'm Neil Malonson, co-producer of Twyla, along with Carl Wiggers, who's also the co-producer. I've been calling you my co-producer, but it's not. you're not the co-producer. You're a the co-producer. co-producer. I'm a co-producer. Along with hosts Avery Davidson <laughs> and Kristen Oaks-White. Uh, sorry for that long introduction there. Let's get right into it. We had a freeze this week. Well, what? You, you you said the, the hosts. We're co-hosts, okay? Oh, let's get that right, yes. Yeah. We yeah. get that very right. Co-hosts. Yes, sweet, sweet Neil. Uh, <laughs> Oh my God, Neil's got a new you. nickname for everybody yeah. listening. No, I and don't. If you watch the show, you'll see why. So we'll, we'll let you continue sweet, on with the show, Neil. sweet, sweet Neil. You mad, bro? <laughs> I'm mad. We're going to move on to actual news here, which is this past week's freeze. Uh, I know I got really involved in winterizing my house, so I can't imagine what sugarcane farmers had to go through. I know they couldn't do a whole lot, but they are obviously worried. Carl, I know you went out and talked to Kenneth Gravois there at LSU. What did he have to say? What was kind of the, the gist there? Well, generally what they're saying is we don't know yet. We don't know anything really. Um, the way a, I mean, a, a freeze, I learned this you know, last night and today was the way a freeze. It's very uh, dependent on how long it's so how long it is, what temperature it is, and all of those, and where the crop is as far as if it's standing upright or if it's lodged. And there are so many different factors. The back of the farm could be a couple you know feet lower in elevation. All of those things can play huge roles. And uh, they really don't know anything for you know a couple weeks following a freeze like this to see kind of how you know what the weather does following the freeze there's so many factors so he's he's very much like you know let's not sound the alarms yet farmers that have been in the sugarcane industry for so long they've been through this they know it it's like the way i kind of you know can relate to it or think about it is like it's like a hurricane coming in for cotton farmers Uh, i mean they they've been through that they know the stress they, they know how to manage mostly uh, the difference is they can't put a few more pickers in the field and get it out any quicker because they can only mill so much. But he he put, he gave me some best practices that he really wants us to push out and remind farmers about that we'll have a link to in our uh, in our show notes. But he said the main thing that farmers need to do is cut cut their cane, make sure it's clean cane, and deliver it to the mill so the mill can work with it. I mean, the cleaner the cane, the more efficient the mill, and all that stuff, which I'm sure. I mean your latest stories you've you've probably seen that very very clearly at the the meals you've been to lately yeah they're uh, definitely billeting and i know they're just blowing and going so you know hopefully this freeze won't set them too far back i know one of the best management practices they recommend is to do a better job billeting it so it mm-hmm. really cuts into those smaller pieces and it's easier for them to manage it i i guess the thing that they're really concerned about is whether or not it affects yield I don't think, based on previous years, it'll affect it that much, but we still have a lot of winter to go, and I think yeah. that's the, what really worries sugarcane farmers the most. Yeah, you got to worry a little bit about spoilage as well, because, I mean, if you have your cane die out there in the field, you're going to lose. It's, it's, you know, the same reason why you have to process it within 24 hours of harvesting it. It starts to, to go bad and mm-hmm. actually, actually will ferment on its own does if it the actually, temperatures are right. Does it, will it actually kill, if the freeze is cold enough, kill the entire stalk? It can, but it's not likely, um, especially with the cold-tolerant varieties that, yeah. that they've been developing at the LSU Ag Center. Yeah, one of the things that um, Dr. Gravois was telling me about was the uh, it can deteriorate. Depending on how deep the freeze is, how long it is, it can deteriorate the stalk, which was all mm-hmm. news to me because I didn't – I'm I'm ignorant Yankee. <laughs> but uh, it can break down the – it can cause – it can 
affect the way that the sugar breaks down once it gets to the milling process. Uh-huh. Um, so you might not be able to, I mean, I wouldn't be able to see it in the field. The farmer probably can, but they can really see it once it gets to the mill. Can I bring up a complete and utter tangent to what you, you were just talking typically about? Do. I typically do. So Dr. Kenneth Gravois, if you want to see him in action during the LSU commercials that during you see games. during football games, when you see some folks rolling out the sugarcane stuff, that's Dr. Kenneth Gravois right there leading the charge just like he does every day over at the LSU Ag Center. I'm, now, I'm not going to say anything about his ne'er-do-well sugarcane farmer brother. <laughs> not going to say anything about Greg Gravois because he's probably still homeless. But nonetheless, <laughs> Dr. Kenneth Gravois is a really good guy. Did you get yeah. paid to put this little tidbit in? I'm getting paid on the side from LSU. I figured. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, moving on to other sugarcane stuff. We did, I'm in part two of the series I'm doing with sugarcane. And last week I went to Lasuka. This week I was at Louisiana Sugar Refiners and they're there in Gramercy. This place opened up a whole new world for me as far as sugarcane goes. It's been there since 1895. And if you guys remember, do you guys remember the Dixie Crystal sugar? Yep. Mm-hmm. That's where it was produced under colonial sugar. And you know, that's just one little tidbit among the many that were there. This was the home of Dr. George Mead. He wrote a book called, I believe it's called Real Sugar Production, and it's a real sugar uh, farming. And it's, uh, he co-authored this book, and many in the sugarcane industry, the mills, utilize these practices, and they utilize them in the field as well, to invent essentially modern sugarcane farming. And so yields went up and all of the billeting, all of the stuff that we see in today's day and age is kind of started under these practices from this guy who was there for 37 years. He lived on the property and um, he was involved in all kinds of things. You'll see there uh, he worked with a local um, uh, teacher in Gramercy to put the first black school in St. James Parish. And so, I mean, then this was before uh, desegregation. So, mm-hmm. I mean, this was really important milestones. And I mean, it was just one of those things where you can really see that that facility has been the hub of Gramercy for a long, long time. And it still is today. Gramercy's a tiny town and they employ, I think, 300 people there mm-hmm. at that refinery alone. I remember when they did the groundbreaking and I've been wanting to go back ever since. And I'm so glad that you finally made it there because that's a story I think everybody needs to know about is how... It doesn't end at the mill. The sugar mill, we have 11 mills, but only, what, two refineries right. in the state? Yes, Domino and LSR. There may be another one, but I don't think they I, – I think they do something different as from what I recall. But I know that uh, almost 50 percent of the sugar harvested in Louisiana goes through LSR. And the thing they pride themselves on is the fact that it's 100 percent Louisiana sugarcane. Mm-hmm. Domino's owned by um, a Cuban family out of uh, Miami. But LSR was started by eight sugar mills, uh, and they all banded together, and they all created that thing. You saw the groundbreaking. You talked about that in 2010. And so now that it's rolling, one of the things that they do is they're kind of insulated from a lot of the ups and downs in the sugar market nationally and, and internationally because they directly market their sugar. And so it's been an incredible thing for 
um, the sugarcane industry, which you may or may not know, doesn't have a lot in the way of federal protection. They have some buying things, but they don't have things like the the rice payments or the ARC or the PLC. They, they've mm-hmm. never really been in those major federal programs. And so this for Louisiana producers, at least for the mills that are involved in it, is really instrumental in keeping that price up. So they're just doing a fantastic job there. So uh, let me get this right. So from the mills, mm-hmm. they're 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 putting out the raw sugar, correct, and then molasses, correct. So what is LSR bringing in? They bring in the raw sugar. Okay. Okay. And so the molasses goes to cattle farmers. Okay. Um, but the raw sugar itself is brought in. LSR does do some molasses, and they do not only the the uh, blackstrap, which is the stuff that's for cattle feed, but they do food grade. They do cane sugar, um, cane syrup uh, level. Uh, 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 molasses. And so what they do is, remember, Lasuka and other mills are basically giant kitchens. They mm-hmm. come in, they cut it up, they grind it, and they put it puts out the juice, they separate it. Uh, what goes into sugar, you know, is taken out and the rest is becomes molasses and bagasse, which is the, the byproduct of, of sugarcane. Mm-hmm. This is a little more complicated. They put this, the raw sugar in giant warehouses, and then they have to go in and boil it and reboil it, and they, they decolorize it, which makes it white from the that, that thing. And they use um, they used to use um, bone char to decolorize it, but these days they're using resin. So it's it's um, they don't have to use animal byproducts, which leaves less in the sugar. And, and of course, it appeals to those who don't want, you know, don't eat meat or that kind of thing. But um, really what it does, it's a cheaper way of doing it that actually leaves a purer product. So cool. that's that's something interesting that I learned there. And then you see in the, the, um, the video that I did, these giant, there are eight of them, 40-foot boilers that go in there and wow. they start that crystallization process. And you can see it just boiling around. And then it has to sit for roughly 36 to 48 hours while it cools down and they do further processing. They get the crystals down to 0.03% moisture and that's still not good enough. They still have to, it goes through a further final step before crystallizing to get all of that moisture. Because what happens is even that 0.03 creates enough liquid that it creates a sticky sheen. And so you'd have a gooey mass of sugar instead Mm. of the crystals. So they have to even, you know, they have to get rid of that much more water out of it in order to make it into the sugar table sugar that we get today. It's like breaking bad for sugar. (laughs) It it really is. It's a massive thing. But the, the neat thing, that uh, Larry Fosho, the CEO of LSR, told me is you see all this industry, you see trains moving in, 300 trucks move in and out of the facility, all this refining, all of this stuff that goes in, one thing leaves, sugar, that's it. There's nothing else in it. There's no added products. That's the ingredient that goes in those bags. When it goes through, it goes through a metal detector to make sure there's no filings from that machinery. And then it goes through an x-ray to see that it's, it's, it has that consistency throughout. And, and uh, there were a couple bags that got taken off the line while I was watching, but for the most part, it gets through clean and, and gets on those trucks and gets out. So how much sugar do they put out a year? I mean, I know a a two pound bag or five pound bag that I buy in my cabinet right now but like how much of that goes because out of that two facility. billion pounds of sugar go through that facility almost two and a half billion pounds <laughs> think about 300 trucks moving in and out a day roughly 120 to 150 are bringing the sugar in but there's almost that many more going yeah. out on the other side bringing products out all of those trucks are still only 30 percent of the sugar through that facility though 70 percent rest goes by train 
That's crazy. That's, that's like a amazing. wealth of facts. That's well, a story. Well, when you do two weeks of uh, sugar stories, you're sweet, sweet Neil. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's this is week four. Because you did... You have done a lot of sugar stories. You've done nothing, it's, at it's least four of weeks of it. Yeah. It is well, that time. It's You're that right. time of year. And um, I want to thank the, the guys at... Um, I want to thank Mike Malosoff for sure, because he sits on the board at, no at Masuka and no no relation whatsoever, <laughs> um, as well as Sam Irwin um, with the Louisiana uh, Sugarcane uh, Association. And they the two of them uh, have really helped me find this, this story out, because sugar, it, it is their time of year to go through it and um, through their harvest, and it's their, their big production time. So it's been, it's been great. And so I'm going to do one final story two weeks from now on the history of that place. That's why I can't say too, too much more about what I saw out there. But I will say that it sits on the National Register of Historic Places by the Department of Interior. And there are some really fascinating things that have mm. happened in that facility through the years. That's really cool. I, I'm excited to watch it because as if I don't know if it was evident or not, but I'm pretty ignorant about the sugar industry. Um, I, I'm ignorant about a lot. Me, T. Avery, him, him a Yankee, him. Yeah, uh-huh. me, he don't know nothing about that. <laughs> you don't want to talk about her? No, yeah. no. Don't pick I'm a on. chameleon. Nice. I can be whatever you oh want me to be. <laughs> whatever. But also, aside from uh, working with the American Sugarcane League, Sam Irwin also plays trumpet with the uh, the Florida Street Blowhards. That's right. It's, it's, he is. You're he full is of tangents tra- tonight. Today, <laughs> tonight. It's not tonight yet. <laughs> well, instead of getting on a tangent, why don't you tell us about the market uh, that you went to today? Well, we went over to uh, Patrick Becknell's uh, farm. Uh, well, I say farm, farm. It's more of an orchard and nursery over there in Plaquemines Parish. It's Pla- uh, Patrick Becknell Jr. who's running it now, and. He has two ginormous greenhouses that you have to go through biosecurity to get into, which means I did not get into it. I failed my biosecurity test. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, surprising. But, you know, he's got in each of them 7,500 trees wow. that he's growing. And the plan and the idea behind it is to move at least 7,500 out every year. So he's got one greenhouse where he's growing them for two years and the other one where he's got them hanging out until they're ready to go for sale. Now, where could you get these trees? Well, I'm glad you asked. If you're a Louisiana Farm Bureau member, you can go to your parish Farm Bureau office and buy it through the Farm Bureau Holiday Shop. Should or, we play some music under this right now for like the ad? Or yeah. you can, <laughs> or you can go, go online. online. Go to lafarmbureau.org slash holiday dash shop and you will be able to place your order there as for well. Any, for anyone that can't follow all that that quick, the links will be in the show notes. Yeah, because you're not sitting there with a pen and paper while you're driving exactly. listening to this or yeah. wherever you are. The paper sitting next to you is not what you want to write on anyway, right? right. You know what, guys? I think uh, Matt sold it better last Matt week. Matt did sell it. <laughs> yeah. I was about to say, we talked about it last week mm-hmm. on the show. If you really want to hear about it, go to last week's episode, listen to Matt. But you had Matt with you out in the field. Did you put him on camera? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so... Um, I figured I didn't have a whole lot of time to put this piece together. So I figured, well, I'll go back to my old broadcast days and do it as a look live. That and also uh, Pat Shingleton from WBRZ was here, and he did a little shtick where he walked off camera from the, the his weather set and appeared in the backyard here over at the Louisiana Farm Bureau. So I was like... Feeling inspired? I, no, I, I felt like a thief. Oh, okay. I'm stealing his idea. Yeah, no, this is straight up that. Sounds this familiar. Is, this is not... Uh, this is not inspiration and trying to riff off of it. No, I, I, I stole it. Uh, but I was trying to save time on editing. So I 
walked into the shot while I was out at Patrick Becknell's, did an interview with Patrick, talking about the cold weather as well, what to do to winterize your plants and how to get them ready, and then went talk to Matt about how to buy things and what his favorite thing is from the holiday shop. Do y'all remember? Do y'all know? Matt's? Matt's, yes. He didn't tell us. I don't remember if he told us. He probably did. They are the hot and spicy pecans. He did not tell us that. that. Yeah, so remember that. If you want to be nice to him, yeah, they are. I've gone, those are the chocolate ones. I've never mixed the two, though. I don't know if that would be a good idea. But nonetheless, the trees, what's great about getting them from Patrick Becknell Jr., instead of going into a big box store, is you know that they are designed to grow and live in Louisiana, that he's taken the time to make sure it has the right root stock. He uses a citrine rootstock, which uh, is something like a lemon, but a a lot more hardy and can handle uh, Louisiana's weather and moisture a lot better. So uh, he likened it to the difference between buying a Honda or a Cadillac. He sells Cadillacs. Mm. That's pretty confident. Which you need. I mean, if you're going to buy a tree, especially a citrus tree in Louisiana, you want the Cadillac. Because, uh, you know, it would be depressing to lose it in a year or two after you plant it. Yeah, and we brought back some satsumas as well. Mm-hmm. So I can't be accused of Hello? not sharing the food. Well, I don't see anything in here. Not, not they're not any here. In there, here. Table. there is lots of equipment here that could be damaged by orange juice mm. spraying all over the place. There's a whole ever. sack. There is a sack, or uh, half a sack rather, of satsumas sitting right over there in that office. Okay, With grab your handful. My name on it. I wanted a tree, Dead Gummit. That's what <laughs> I was about to say. I want a tree. <laughs> I guess I have to go to the holiday shop and get my own, yep. yeah. the old-fashioned way, like everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Link in the show notes. So while we're talking about podcasts, let's talk about another podcast, Louisiana Farm Life. And uh, you had a pretty special guy for, for this week. You've been finding some really interesting stories here lately. Yeah, we, I'm, you probably remember the Matt Branch story I did here on the show a couple weeks ago. But I, whenever I was there shooting the story, I sat down with him and did a podcast with him and... Uh, Really went into detail. He got to tell the longer form of his story. You know, in the three minutes we had for the, his story, you can only get so much into it. But he really takes his uh, liberties and just really shares it all. Talks about, you know, the, the hunt, you know, the, the following, like, you know, the time between realizing he'd been shot and the ambulance showing up and his friends and the work that they did to keep him alive. And it is, it's, an, it's an incredible story. But he also goes into detail about his time playing football, which I barely got to even touch in the story. Uh, his time playing football is, you know, his kind of relationship, you know, and how it morphed from, uh, you know, his, his love for hunting and how it kind of got overtaken by football during, you know, playing for LSU. And then how he kind of swung back to hunting and less about LSU because he missed that time in his life. And now mm-hmm. he's kind of trying to find the balance again. Mm-hmm. It was pretty cool, though. He texted me the other day and was like, Hey man, just listen to the podcast on my way home from Kansas. I was duck hunting in Kansas, and I was like, <laughs> you know, we talked about yeah. on the show. Is sure you going to be duck hunting? So he was, <laughs> he's still duck hunting. But uh, anyways, this is a cool story, cool podcast where he talks about you know the ag community, football, raising the family, you know. And I asked him one of my favorite questions. I asked him, and it was kind of just a, a last second, you know, throw I threw it in there. But I asked him, I said, are you more excited about taking your son to his first duck hunt or his first football game? And he said football game at LSU, at foot, first football game at LSU in Death Valley, which mm-hmm. yeah. is a different experience than just a football game. But he said he was leaning towards that right now, but he said it's still, uh, that could change over the, over the next couple of years. Yeah, but, you know, you, 
the whole story about his recovery and what happened that that day uh you're failing to bring up one major important fact here carl and that is up until this past weekend he was on the last team to beat alabama he was and and his team did beat him twice in a row I, I know a lot of this weekend everybody was talking about lsu alabama it's the game of the century well the week the last time it was huge it was huge but there was another game of the century that was billed and that was the last time that LSU beat them in Tuscaloosa nine to six. That oh, was yeah, it that was, was the 2011. team. That was two, the team Matt was on. I think it was 2011. They we beat yeah, them in 2010 was. and 11, and Matt was on both of those teams. So I thought it was kind of cool. I kind of rushed to get it out Friday afternoon because I was like, well, we got to add that little part in there. So it was out. It's out this past Friday. So if you're listening now and you missed it. Head over. We'll I'll put a link to it in the show show notes. Yeah, I just love that it's such an inspiring story. Hearing him hearing him talk about all that he went through, all that he missed, because I mean he spent time in a medically induced coma. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I I think that it's not often you'll hear someone be that open about all their trials and tribulations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I, we put this in the little tag of the podcast. But do you know how much? A titanium leg with the microprocessors and all that stuff goes for these days. What would you guess? What would you guess, Kristen? Mm. How much one of those cost? Twelve thousand. Seventy thousand dollars. Unbelievable. For a He's leg. Got good insurance. For a leg that lasts three to five years, and that three to five years is a range based on how you use it. And he said, "I got this leg to live on," so he's thinking more like three years. Whoa. $70,000 every three three to five years for a new leg. And he also told me this, and it blew my mind. I don't know why I didn't think about it, but you got to pull that leg off every night and plug it up mm-hmm. to a wall and charge it up just like you would a cell phone or a smartwatch. I've got a friend from high school who lost his leg in a four-wheeler accident, and he now makes the titanium. He does, like, d- colors them so that you can have, like, a, a dip-colored huh. leg. Like tie-dye or if you want LSU colors. Yeah, I was thinking purple and gold ones around here. That's pretty cool. So that's what he works on, and he's only got one leg. Wow. It is is amazing how how far that's come. I mean, Mm -hmm. now, like a runner, if you lose your legs, the blades that you run on, if you had the unrestricted kind, you could run faster than the fastest runner on normal legs because they have so much spring. There's so much technology in them. Mm -hmm. And... uh, uh, so it's it's interesting it's interesting to see it from that that angle. On that a funny little thing that Matt threw in there, he said, "I don't mean to offend you, but the smartest thing in this room is attached to my hip." Yeah. Talking about his leg and the mic, I was like, "Man, you're not going to offend me about that." But he's got a computer in his kneecap now, so mm-hmm. it's pretty wild to think about. But it was a it was a cool. We put a clip in there to show this week talking about it, just because uh, it's a story that really hit home. You know, not hit home, but just really meant a lot to me as somebody from Louisiana, from northeast Louisiana, that mm-hmm. enjoys hunting and enjoys mm-hmm. the outdoors just like he does, and I enjoy LSU football. There's so much about it to like. So I encourage everybody to go check it out. I think it's really going to be something you enjoy, too. I think we will. Well, I think we're all going to enjoy something coming up here really soon. My question is, can you guys believe it's Thanksgiving already? It feels like it's flown Ugh. this year. It has, but I mean, Thanksgiving's my favorite holiday. You know, it's not about it's not about gifts. It's not about anything other than just getting together and eating food, which normally in Louisiana we call Tuesday. Uh, but it just so happens to be Thursday because you're, Thanksgiving. You're so wrong. It's about football and Black Friday shopping. What are you talking about? You do a lot of Black Friday shopping? No, not at all. <laughs> but why did you say, ugh? 
I just don't like this. I, from from harvest season until February is my least favorite time of year. I love spring and summer. It does have anything to do with yes. flying animals, flying birds? Yes. Ducks, maybe? Yes. And a certain Landon what, White. Somebody who, calls it, what, a hunting widow? <laughs> I hate that term. I, I enjoy the holiday, Neil. I enjoy eating, but I'm, I'm actually going to try to do better this year. I'm trying mm-hmm. to eat, res- <laughs> eat responsibly. Mm-hmm. I'm sure everybody says that right now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, I, we all do. We all, you know, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be real disciplined this year. And you look at that empty plate with all the bones and residue on it and, no we're, you know, we're going to talk about what you and Sean. i talked about this morning i brought a big old sack of satsumas back mm-hmm. what does neil bring in this morning a, a big, big old, old jar of candy left over from halloween every day i saw halloween. that in there yep it's i was wondering everybody. where that was from thank you so, so much just for getting you getting you warmed up for getting me for ready thanksgiving. for thanksgiving yeah, yeah. Stretch it out. i thought, I, thought yeah. I, I thought i escaped halloween with minor injury <laughs> minor damage to the you diet get you some thanksgiving Wrong. pants thanksgiving pants <laughs> <laughs> Sweats. <laughs> that boy is just Suit and tie yeah. from the waist up and big old moo moo or something from the waist down. All right. Well, we're going to talk turkey next week. But uh, until then, thank you guys for joining us. Co hosts uh, Avery Davidson, Chris Noakes White, and co producer Carl Wiggers, as well as myself. Thank you for joining us. We'll talk to you next week. Gobble, gobble. Bye. Sweet, sweet Neil. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and even share it with a friend or two. Also, if you liked it, go ahead and leave us a review. Tell us what you think about the show. What would you like to hear more of? What do you not like that much? That's okay to hear too. The Twilight After Show podcast is brought to you by the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation. Louisiana Farm Bureau is the voice of Louisiana agriculture. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you again right here next week.